I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5, we pick up where we left off last week in the same story, reflecting upon um, the judgeship and really it's a joint effort of Deborah and Barak here. This is the song of victory that is in response to what God has done through them. Martin Luther once said that he didn't care so much who wrote the theologies as long as he could write the hymns. Now, Martin Luther loved his theology, but the point he was making there is that music has a, a powerful effect and can do more to change culture than mere logic. It has a way of bringing head knowledge into the heart when we sing, and it allows us to meditate upon it as we sing them throughout the day. We've seen Israel's downward spiral here entered into its third cycle in chapter 4, where Deborah's role as a prophet and Barak's faith and Jael's assassination of Sisera all culminated in, in their deliverance from the Canaanites. And we'll see in this song, at the very end of the song, before it transitions to the story of Gideon, is that they entered into a, a generation of rest, a rest for 40 years. Before we read the, the chapter, let me just point out a few things about why I believe this was written by Deborah herself. It does say, and then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. So while they were singing, I believe the author is, is singular, uh, very similar to Moses and Miriam singing after they're crossing the Red Sea, although what do we call that song? The song of Moses, right? Moses wrote it, even though he had someone else singing it. And so you can picture them leading the congregation in this song. Deborah and Barak both singing before the people, leading them to sing this. But look at verse um, 3. We read, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. This is a first-person singular. Verse 7, The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose, I, Deborah arose as a mother in Israel. So that alone right there should indicate who is singing in the singular generally, what perspective we're to sing from. That doesn't mean the congregation wasn't joining in her song. They were in agreement with her, but they're singing about the Lord's provision through her eyes. Verse 9, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. So she's distinguishing herself from the officers which would have included Barak, right? She's dis- the author here is distinguishing herself and praising God for raising up those officers and using them. And then in verse 21, you also see the torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. So talking about them, uh, the, the enemy being swept away and, and her soul really delighting in that march on my soul with might. 
right? The, that's, the, that's where the victory, that's where the, the war turned is because of God's sovereign act of really using weather to bring victory um, to Israel. So we believe this is primarily the song, a song written by Deborah to be sung by the people of God. And why is it inserted here? Um, why, you know, think about the original audience. Obviously, this, I believe, was sung by the, the people who witnessed that victory, but it continues to be preserved. And when Judges was, was in its entirety written and released to the people, they're really now in this, in a, under the monarchy, under the king. And it reveals this religious syncretism of the pre-monarchic era, sort of a reminder that you can quickly fall into the same kind of idolatry that God preserved the people, the generations before you from. It reveals the actions of those worthy of commendation before the nation, right? She specifically commends people, individuals whom God used, uh, Barak and Jael, particularly. Uh, and, and it gives glory to the Lord. Glory to the God who wiped out his enemies. It will, it's a praise song, and as we'll see, it's quite different conceptually from most of the modern songs we see. I highly doubt we'll, we'll see Deborah's song receiving a Dove Award this year. This is, these are, this is different language than you're typically hearing on Kedav. And I think that's a shame. I think we are called here to sing praise to our God who carries out justice right, and leads us to victory. So before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder that that our praise to you comes from many different places emotionally. That as we read the Psalms, we, we see anger. We see a call for justice. We see a desire, uh, a crying out in brokenness, in repentance, a desire for comfort. We see, we see great praise given to you as sovereign. We see very little about ourselves. Most of the songs are not. They're dealing with you and your sovereignty and your attributes. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to sing songs like this, be able to sing your praise through the actions of the people you've raised up, to give you praise for all things, including what, what brings discouragement, including what brings fear and anger. Lord, we can turn all of that into a song of praise and, and ask you to sanctify our, our worship. That by your spirit, what, what we sing can be can be music to your ears. So Lord, we ask that you would 
help us to understand something more of that from this passage this morning. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Read with me Judges chapter 5. Then sang Deborah and Barak the son of Abinoam on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake. Awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnants of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley. Following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen, from Makir, marched down the commanders. And from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff, the princes of Issachar, came with Deborah and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there was great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From the heaven, the stars fought, and their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoof, hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. 
Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, what do we do with this song? I believe there's several different ways to approach the song. It's not broken up into very easily defined stanzas. Um, But I do think there are three primary sections Um, as scripture oftentimes has. Um, You have the opening section, verses 1 through 11, represents a a call to worship. Then verses 12 through 23 is is this call to war. And then verses 24 to 31 is a call to wrath. So worship, war, and wrath, not oftentimes themes of our music. But I hope to, sh- to show you why that's to our shame in this passage. First of all, a call to worship. You see this a few times in verse 2 and 9. You have almost an identical verse there. That the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the, Lord, that the people offered themselves willingly, blessed the Lord. And then in verse 9, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people, blessed the Lord. So this is an opportunity here that opens and closes this, this op- these first nine verses as a way of saying, let us bless the Lord for his raising up Israel's military leaders. Right? He raised them up. He gave them the, the boldness. They willingly offered themselves, and he's blessing the Lord for them. Right? He's ultimately praising God for raising them up, for bringing them to deliver them. Right? And in, verses, uh, in verse 3, he, he transitions here to speak of foreign kings. Look, hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. Is there a king in Israel that he's speaking to? No, we'll see that at the end of Judges, right? There's no, at this time, there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So the kings Deborah is speaking about here are the, the foreign kings of the nations that surround them, the, the princes, the leaders and rulers around them. And he's saying that Israel here is to sing to the Lord before these nations, before these kings. You can hear the same thing in 2 Samuel chapter 22, which itself is is a song of deliverance by David after God gives them victory over the Philistines. And he writes this song and he says, 
uh, in 2 Samuel 22:50. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Right, so it's giving credit for the victory among the nations so that everyone would see who we proclaim to be sovereign over this war. And they don't take the credit themselves for the victory. They recognize it was God who delivered them. In verses 4 and 5, there's uh, language here that sounds very similar to Mount Sinai. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Eden, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. He's comparing here, he's, I mean, very directly making a parallel in this verse to what happened at Sinai by declaring Sinai itself had quaked when, when God marched before them into battle, when God brought deliverance before them, right? He is working through earthquakes and storms to disrupt their enemies. And this here shows that God's travel, I would say this offsets what's about to come because it speaks of God being unhindered in his travel, right? He's marching forth, destroying whatever stands against him, And yet, what do you find of the people in this day? Verses 6 and 7. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. The the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. So Israel's travel has been hindered by their oppression. They They can't take to the highways because they just get oppressed, right? They get, they get robbed every time they, they show themselves in public. So they have to stay, stick to the byways. They have to find secret passageways to travel. So while God's travel is unhindered in war, it, he was responding to this hindered travel of Israel. And then offsetting what we saw about the foreign kings, you see here in verse 8, foreign gods. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Why did this war come upon the people of Israel, why, why, why did this have to be? Because they had turned to other gods. They had turned to foreign gods. And this itself is a rebuke to the very people who are supposed to be listening in as Israel sings this song. It's a rebuke of the people who turn to those gods, but it's an acknowledgement to these foreign kings that they're worshiping foreign gods. And if they continue to hinder the travel of the people of God, and they continue to turn their hearts away, and once again, they'll be on the the losing side of a war. So you have foreign kings and foreign gods recognized in this psalm. And then in verse 9, my heart goes out once again. He closes this opening section here as a call to worship, blessing the Lord for raising up willing servants offered themselves, commanders of Israel, who offered themselves willingly. So this would have served as both a a proclamation about the goodness of the Lord, about his sovereignty, as well as a rebuke of God's enemies. Right from the opening. He's, He's acknowledging God's goodness and acknowledging 
the evil of God's enemies. And so Deborah recalls that imagery from Mount Sinai. And, and again, this is a, a polemic against those foreign gods these, these kings worshipped and whom Israel has come alongside and served. Remember, Baal was considered the storm god, the god of the weather, and who's here getting the credit for the weather? Right? It's, it's Yahweh, it's the Lord God of Israel. So the sufficiency and the power of God is now placed side by side here with the desperate situation of Israel. Right, that they are on the, the, the brink of apostasy. And many of them had already fallen headlong into it. But as, a, as an entire nation, they're on the brink of being lost if God had not raised up Deborah and Barak and Jael. So this is ultimately a hymn of celebration. Right? It's a recognition of what God has done, much like Moses' song in Exodus 15, much like what we read of David's song in Deuteronomy uh, or 2 Samuel 22. And then in verses 10 and 11, you see here he, he's calling the people to come together, or Deborah is calling people to come. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. So now they're saying, let's declare this victory. Let's all, from the rich to the poor, from those who are riding on donkeys to those who are walking, right? those who, who have money and those who do not, the musicians have returned to their locations now at the watering places. They can once again freely worship God. They've been delivered. Peace has been restored. So the only proper response is to lift up their hearts in praise and adoration, to declare the goodness of God. Right? But apparently, Deborah didn't know the trick to writing hit worship songs. Right? There's too judgy. Too much judgmentalism in this chapter. Not enough emotion. Not enough repetition. Again, you won't hear this on Kadav. And unfortunately, you won't hear it in too many churches. Songs that speak of God's justice. Well, the song transitions from that opening call to worship into a call to war. In verses 12 through 15, as well as verse 18, speak of those tribes who went out to battle and risked their lives. He's acknowledging that they risked their lives. They, they trusted the Lord to deliver them. They believed the promise that Deborah had given them. Right? And so 10,000 of them gathered together to enter into this to go out into war. And they risked their lives, but there was also division among the people of Israel. What happens, verses 15b, the second half of 15 through 17, speaks of those nations who did not go. Reuben, it says, there, was, there were great searchings of heart. This is really, beginning. he's mocking the tribe of Reuben. And, oh, well, let me think about that. Let me, let me search that. Let me pray about whether I should join you. And it's really just a way of delaying their response, of not going. 
Several tribes, it says, stay home. There's great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds? Were you listening to the whistling of the flocks? Was that more important to you than the oppression that you were, you were sitting under from the Canaanites? Calls out Gilead and Dan, Asher. Why did you stay? That's the key word there in those passages. Why, why did you stay put? Why didn't you join us in battle? And then back to Zebulun, a people who risked their lives. Right? Well, while you were watching the flocks, they were risking their lives to bring your freedom. So these tribes that stay home are, are rightfully mocked for doing so. And the Deborah, Barak, Jael, and the 10,000 men from several different tribes who respond to the Lord's call, they are praised. Their faith was tried, and it was found true, and they are all commended without hesitation. There's no questioning here of Barak's faith. There's no questioning of Jael's actions. There's simply praise of what they've done. Look back, though, at verse 12 here. You see, victory is so secure for them that they are, that it says, Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Break out in song here. This is, this is really, who are the captives here? He's, he doesn't take the Canaanites captive. This is the, the captives of Israel who are being led out in freedom by Barak. And then in verses 19 through 22, you have a recounting of the battle. What happened in this battle? Remember the, in chapter uh, 4, we saw that the, that the chariots, these 900 chariots, Sisera uh, brings into, um, it says, when Sisera was told in verse 12, when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harosheth Agoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. This explains how that happened, right? Because the waters of the Kishon raised up, raised up and, and swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. The, the, the rain that was dropping upon the storm that had, had been taking place now brought the river to overflowing. And so all of these 900 chariots and men surrounding them are stuck in the mud. Right. God is the one orchestrating this victory here. They cannot move. And so what does Sister do? He jumps off out of his chariot and flees on foot. This thing that he had used as a, as a way of promoting his, his might and his power, these chariots of iron that everyone was fearful of, became a hindrance to him so that he has to flee on foot. Right? We see in this recounting in the song that God is a cosmic God. He's not just a territorial deity 
as the gods of the Canaanites. He's not just overseeing a particular land or protecting a particular land. We see him calling upon the, the stars, right? There's, there's fighting among the heavens. And so he is sovereign even over Baal. So the leaders fought, and then the Lord sent a torrent that swept them away. And you have this reference to Meroz, and people kind of scratch their heads. What, who, who's Meroz? Where's Meroz? We don't know. Why don't we? Well, read the verse. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly. You don't know about Meroz because it's been thoroughly cursed. We have no idea where it's located. There was a moment here of testing for the people of God. And not everyone was up for the challenge. Some of them decided to stay in the comfort of their homes far away from battle. But many of these tribes gathered together and the Lord used them mightily. How does that apply to us today? Well, I I would point out that, as Augustine said, war is love's response to a neighbor threatened by force. Augustine, the author of the just war theory, the war is love's response to a neighbor threatened by force. And although all wars are not just, and unfortunately I would say many that we have fought are not just, this passage makes clear that some wars are. That God is working in and through militaries to accomplish his will. And some of us need to be woken up to that physical warfare that's taking place around the world. Love requires intervention. And it only gets more fierce from there in this song. From, From praising those who went out to war... There's now this, what I would say is a a call to wrath, a recognition that God was carrying out his wrath through jail. Remember, Deborah has recognized her, has called herself the mother of Israel. We have Jael, a a non-Israelite, a Kenite, married to an apostate man named Heber who had made peace with Jabin, king of Canaan. During this time, he raises up these two women as heroes in their response to evil. And not only does Jaez stand in contrast here to Meroz, she follows right after the curse of Meroz, but she also is contrasted to Sisera's mother. So remember what, I mean, the, the description here is, is pretty clear. We don't need to reread it, what Jael did to Sisera hammering a a tent peg through his temple. And then you have Sisera recognized or or imagined being at her window, at this lattice, looking out, waiting for Sisera to come. Why can't she hear their chariots? And so Jael stands in contrast to Meroz, who did not help the, the, the work of the Lord, as well as in contrast to Sisera's mother and her wicked imagination in this passage, who, who thinks that the reason why they're delayed is because there's so much spoil that they have to collect and there's so many women that they have to rape. 
That's what's being described here. That's what her and her wisest princesses answer. That they're dividing the spoil. A womb or two, as we said last week, derogatory reference to women for every man. Her imagination is possibly worse than her son, Sisera. And so Deborah's song here actually mocks Sisera's mother's greed and her disrespect for God's people. We see Israelites are mocked here for not coming out. We see the enemies mocked here. And then in verse 31, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord. And that word so means in this way may all your enemies perish. May they all die just like Sisera did. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. See, whereas Jael kills the sinner, Sisera's mother proves that she condoned and enabled her son's sin. And it's a picture here at the end of this song, a very vivid and gruesome picture of what all of our sin deserves. Jael carried out justice in honor of a holy God who will not let sin go unpunished. And I'm not saying we spiritualize what took place here and say, well, you know, really this Sisera just represents sin. No, Sisera was a sinner who was killed because of his sin. And I'm not saying we spiritualize this or we make it more of a parable or an allegory. This is really, I believe, what happened. But it is a picture of what our sin deserves. And this act of justice for the Canaanites was an act of mercy for the Israelites. But why? Why did the Israelites receive mercy? It wasn't because they were better. They've proven that multiple times already in this book. Right? They certainly weren't more righteous. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 through 6, Moses said, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore, I'll say it the third time here. In these, three, or these four verses here, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. But it's not because of their righteousness. It's not because they're better. And in light of our sin, the real question is, why haven't all of us received a tent peg to the temple? Why did you wake up this morning with breath in your lungs? Our sin is cosmic treason 
You say, well, that word's been thrown around a lot lately. No, this is real treason against our maker. Sin is cosmic treason. And we're all guilty before a holy God. All of us deserve a death just like Sisera received. But instead, God offers us mercy. Why? Because Jesus Christ endured the most violent expression of God's wrath and justice in our place. When he died on the cross for us. And so this call to worship, this call to war, and this call to wrath can all redound to his glory because it's what makes way for his mercy to be displayed to his people, his covenant people, not because of our righteousness, but because God saw fit to glorify himself through a covenant people. And I, that's why I believe it's unfortunate that songs like this are rare today. Because you really can't know God's mercy and grace apart from his wrath and judgment. So can you praise God for Jael's actions here? Absolutely. And we should continue to pray prayers like the Heidelberg Catechism recommends in question 123, where the answer says, destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. So in worship, we recount all that God has done for us, which means the imprecatory psalms, the psalms which call out for God's justice upon his enemies to to bring his wrath upon those who reject him. Those imprecatory psalms are not outdated. They're not out of character for the people of God to sing. And so even as we sing of God's love and his mercy, let us recognize what it took to show us mercy. It took a carrying out of justice, a condemning and a killing of sin so thoroughly that it would be wiped out. Let us sing praise to our God who carries out justice and leads us to victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this song. It's, um, it's a song 